It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Let's go, back to your huddle. On Giants.com. Tempo, tempo, tempo. And the Giants mobile app. Go, 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 go. Part of the Giants podcast network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a season preview Giants roundtable. We're going to be joined by our guys in just a second, but first a reminder, the Giants huddle podcast can be found on the Giants mobile app at Giants.com slash podcast and your favorite podcast platforms. I am John Schmelk. We're joined by Paul Schwartz of the New York Post. We're joined by Tom Rock from Newsday. And Art Stapleton from the record, three of our favorite beat guys. We've done this probably five, six years in a row now, fellas. First of all, what are you going to do? And we're talking to you guys before. This is going to post on Labor Day. But what are your big weekend plans here? Not often do we have a Labor Day weekend where we're not tracking rosters and looking at cuts. Like, this is a whole new world for us, guys. Big plans. Tell me, what do you got? Well, I haven't reported any of the roster moves yet. I plan to hold them until Saturday. I, I, I feel like I feel like tradition needs to be upheld in, in that regard. John, I've got Broncos special teams work that still needs to be done. Boy, I've got feels? I've got I've got Broncos red zone that I need to look through, and I've got Broncos. I mean, El, you know, Elway throwing that ball. I mean, the Giants defense is going to really be. You know, that's going to be a real challenge for the Giants. So Elway, you know, Dan Reeves, they're always very prepared Broncos. So I got a lot of work to do on the Broncos. I'm already ahead of you, Paul. I've already started on Washington. Um, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, I started on Denver. I feel pretty good about Teddy Bridgewater film, but I, I'm, I'm going to move on to Washington. You know, that short week going to that Thursday, I'm afraid that I'm not going to have much time to break down the film. Uh, the Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday before Washington. So that that's where I'm at. Well, you said you feel good about uh, Denver, Art. How do you feel about the Giants right now? I wrote on the website the other day how we've kind of come full circle. You know, everything we talked about at the end of last season is now kind of everything we're sort of talking about now, right? Saquon hasn't really done much in practice yet. We think he's going to play. Two other big additions that were supposed to help the offense, Kenny Galladay and Kadarius Tony. We haven't really seen a whole lot of, right? And then we've gotten a very small sample size of the offensive line and they didn't play particularly well in that first half of the third preseason game. So are we kind of Paul back where we started at, at this point from what we were talking about back in January, or am I looking at this the wrong way? No, I, I think there's some valid points there. We think the defense is good. We're not sure about the offensive line. Um, we think an offense led by, Another running back, Sterling Shepard and Darius Slayton, is probably not good enough because we haven't seen the other guys on the field. And 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 we don't know if the offense can score enough points. So, right. I mean, this has been a tremendous waiting game. You know, we've got a little glimpse of Kenny Galladay, then he took him away. They got a, we got a little glimpse of Kadarius Tony, and then they took him away. You know, so it's it's Saquon. We've, we knew what was going to happen with Saquon all summer, right? Little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit, and maybe it'll add up to him playing in the first game. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it, it's um, the good news is these guys were all trending back very soon. So it's not like um, other than losing Evan Ingram, all these guys are making incremental steps forward. So at some point, pretty soon, we should see all of them. But until then, yeah, it's a lot good defense. We don't know about the offense. Tom, what's your feel? And do you think we are going to see most of these guys, specifically the Galladay? Barkley, Tony group in week one. What's your feel for that? I feel pretty confident that we're going to see Galladay. Uh, I'm a little less confident, but still confident that we'll see Barkley. And I think we'll see Tony in some capacity. It's not going to be, you know, 30, 40 reps on, on, on offense, but, you know, maybe a special teams play. Maybe it may be 10 or 12 reps with, with three or four touches. And that's that's the way that Tony is going to be integrated into this offense. It's going to be it's going to be little by little. He's not he's not a centerpiece player. He's a he's he's an accentuator. He's a, he's a, he's an add on. And so I, I think that that's going to be the way that they use him. And, and Joe Judge has already said that, you know, rookie wide receivers in this league, they they usually don't burst onto the scene. Uh, you know, Kadarius Tony is, is certainly. Uh, when they drafted him was was not a finished product and 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 he still has some work to do so i think we i think we're going to see that happen throughout the season i like the word accentuator tom that's very nice i like that it's pretty good um question on barkley just following up with with you real quick before we go to art how much do you think the fact that you have that quick turnaround in week 2 against washington will impact how they use him in week 1 against denver because that's a 
you know, three days coming off an ACL first game, hasn't seen a ton of action. How do you think that impacts the whole game plan here? I think it, I think it affects everybody. I don't think that affects Barkley. I think it affects Galladay and the soft tissue guys more mm. than it does Barkley, who has uh, obviously a structural issue with, with, with his knee. You know, taking a pounding against the Broncos on Sunday is not going to leave him more vulnerable to an injury on Thursday, you know, whereas with the hamstring, you can kind of strain it. You can, you can, you can re aggravate it. I think once, once the knee is done, it's done. You know, it's either, you know, it, it's either pregnant or not pregnant. It's not, you know, it's torn or not torn. It's, there's no, you know, there's, there's no real wear and tear on it. It's just, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, how much it can withstand. Well, Art, these guys left the offensive line talk for you, and I know you're very excited about that because you don't talk enough about the offensive line with your very, followers. Yeah. Uh, how do you see this group, where they're at, and then we'll kind of just open it up to the table to, you know, kind of flesh out the group a little bit. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, just toss me the softball, right? Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think up until up until Sunday night in the preseason finale against the Patriots, I felt pretty good that this line was moving in the right direction, but when you get into a full speed situation and you're going against a defensive line that has studied your tendencies all week, you know, I think that's kind of been overlooked uh, that Josh Uche, it was probably knowing exactly what Andrew Thomas was going to do when he hit him with his first move. Uh, and Thomas just couldn't react. Uh, overall, I think you're, you know, there's trepidation there. There's apprehension because the giants have been through this, every season uh, for as long as I think any of us can remember there's questions about the offensive line. The most damning part of it, uh, I think is Andrew Thomas uh, just because he had such a nondescript summer that I interpreted it as Thomas is really kind of putting it all together. And then on a span of 18 to 20 snaps, it just goes all poof. You know, and, and I think that's kind of my biggest concern is that what 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 were we seeing? Were we seeing an offensive line that just was trying to get used to the speed of the game in the finale or were we seeing more of the same? Um, and I think it over it overshadowed probably two decent performances by Nick Gates at center and Will Hernandez at right guard. And I think, you know, you can't hold the offensive line up and say, well, we got good performances from Gates and Hernandez when three other spots seem to be caving in. So, um, you know, look, the long winded answer is you have to be nervous. You have to know what's going on. And I think the giants have shown with the three moves they made in a matter of 72 hours last week, albeit adding one guy to the practice squad uh, that they see that things needed to be done in order to be able to try to continue to get this offensive line together. I'm not sure what took so long, uh, but it, it's definitely one that I think is going to cause a lot of angst going into the season opener. Oh, Paul, Tom, let, let's open it up then to the tackles first. I'm with art. I, we didn't really notice Andrew Thomas so much the first, you know, four or five weeks of camp. And I thought that was a good thing. Even in the joint practices against Cleveland, I thought he was solid. I think he, I saw him get beat maybe once, you know, but no miles Garrett, no Javian Clowney. You know, the giants aren't throwing out any players of that caliber in practice every day. So I was taken aback when, when he struggled the way he did in that first half against new England. I don't know about you guys. And then I, I, if you guys had to place a bet now, who's starting at right tackle in week one? I think I would probably say Nate Solder, but I don't feel great about it. I'll open it up to the open it up to the floor. Whoever wants to take it, thoughts on the tackles here on both sides, and really how important that is, and, and just how you think that's going to look early on in the year. Go ahead, Paul. Um, well, I mean, look, the tackle. I, I think we all. I mean, I, I don't can't speak for all of us. I, I think with with uh, Shane Lemieux coming back, Nick Gates and Will Hernandez. You know, I feel they are capable on the inside. You know, I, I, there's no pro bowler there, but I think they can hold up. I think they're smart guys. They're tough guys. I think Will Hernandez is going to be okay on the right side. So yeah, but that's like kind of saying, um, you know what. I'm looking at this pitching staff and I think our three, four and five starters are excellent. Okay. I think we can really hold up and get innings out of those guys. And you say, yeah, but what about the one and two starters, right? The tackles are your one and two starters on your pitching staff. Um, and I agree. Uh, uh, Andrew Thomas, 
Look, we was I mean, I, I, it's too much to say we were sold a bill of goods on Andrew Thomas. But what did we hear this whole cycle after they drafted Andrew Thomas? Because pretty much nobody thought that he was the best of the four guys coming out. People said, what about him? The best thing they said about Andrew Thomas is he is the most NFL ready to step in and play left tackle. Now, maybe for the long haul, he won't be the best player, but he'll be steady. He'll be solid. He's been a left tackle at a great you know, school, Georgia, a great football program. He'll be ready to play. And he, that, that was not what Andrew Thomas was. I was kind of stunned when I kept on hearing about he has needs so much work with his hand placement. He needs so much work with his pass sets because that's a guy – He's not, that's not NFL ready. That's like, he's not NFL ready, but he's a good specimen. So, but he got better. So I, I'm not going to go crazy about one half against the Patriots. I'm just not. He was better last year near the end of the season. I'll, I'll kind of take that. The right side, I'll let Tom handle the right side. Um, I think they're both going to play. There's no way they're going to have Nate Solder in for 70 snaps, you know? So I think they're both going to play who starts. I think they still go with Pert. I don't think they say, this youth movement is done. I think they have purpose kind of been on notice now, you know, you got to get your act together because we got a guy waiting in the wings, but I think Nate Solder will also get snaps at right tackle. Yeah. I think, I don't think, I think the Giants showed last year that they're not afraid to use more than five offensive linemen in, in a game and, and rotate them in and out and, and do lots of crazy things uh, with, with that rotation. You know, uh, it's a little unorthodox, but, you know, hey, it, you know, it seemed to work last year and, 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 you know, maybe it'll work this year. So maybe Solder comes in, a, you know, a couple of series a game or, or Pert does, uh, you know, they, they could do that at guard now. They're certainly deep enough after they, they added all those players in the, in the middle of the offensive line. Look, it comes down to this, John. The, the front office of this organization gambled this season on these young offensive linemen developing. And that's going to determine whether or not they have, they have a good season and it pays off or a bad season. And it all crumbles because they cannot function as an offense, no matter how many, how great Kenny Galladay is, no matter how great Saquon is, no matter how consistent Daniel Jones is, they can't function if they can't block. And, and, that's been the problem, as Art said, for almost a decade now. You know, we're, we're coming up. We're going to be celebrating the 2011 championship team. That's probably the last time they were able to sustain that kind of a kind of a you know championship winning caliber of an of an offensive line. They've been looking for it. They've been looking for it for ten years. You know, they they thought they had it in uh, you know March, April, May, June, July. You know, we got to the end of August and for 20 snaps, it looked like they didn't. Yeah, you know, just an addendum on Thomas, I, I do think it's interesting because you're right. Thomas was better the last six games last year. I thought he was having a, a pretty good summer. And then 20 snaps, what does that mean? And going back to your point, Paul, at the draft, we, I did an hour, I think, podcast with, with O'Hara and Deal before that draft. And they basically made a great argument for why Thomas could be the pick. And that was before they made it. So they said, look, there's a good argument for Wills, a good argument for Wirfs, a good argument for Beckton. There's a good argument for Thomas. And I even talked to O'Hara the other day. He goes, look, I, st I still think based on what we knew at the time and watching the guys, it was the right pick. So it's just that that's the draft, right? I mean, you think you know all about these guys, but really you really learn about them when they get there. Don't John, miss out on the rich. Yeah, please go ahead. Let me just say. Those other guys, they weren't asked to come in and be the best offensive lineman on the team. Andrew Thomas was. No, that's true. And and, and you can't do that. You know, I, I've said I said that about Justin Pugh for so many years. You know, they needed him to be the best offensive lineman on on their team, and he's not. If Justin Pugh is your third best offensive lineman, you have a great offensive line. If Justin Pugh is your best offensive lineman, then it's then it's not a very good offensive line. And and Andrew Thomas needs to be their best offensive lineman. Hands down. And if he's not, then, then I think that that reflects poorly on the whole unit. And by I, the way, I'll, I'll say this too real quickly. Tom Brady makes tackles look really good all the time. I mean, we saw when the Giants signed Nate Solder, right? I mean, a lot easier, I think, to be the right tackle for Tom Brady in that offense than be the left tackle for Daniel Jones in this offense, right? Just, just to do a Thomas Worf's comparison, just as an example. And it is, I think Tom nailed it with the idea of that, that the front office and the coaching staff gambled here. I mean, they gambled on the development of the offensive line. And it's kind of funny because when they identified and they dug in in the offseason as to what they needed to make this team better, 
they said we need we need a, a wide out who's going to be on the perimeter and give Daniel a deep a deep target. So they go and give seventy plus million dollars to Kenny Galladay. We need a cornerback that we can rely on rather than having a turnstile opposite James Bradbury. They go and they make the splurge for Adoree Jackson. They commit to Leonard Williams. You know they signed Logan Ryan before last season even ended. They've looked at problems, quote unquote, on this team and identified them and haven't hesitated in bringing in guys to fill those roles. They didn't do that with the offensive line. They're relying and gambling, in a sense, on the development of some of these young players. And that's where you can go bust. I mean, it's it's obvious that there are pieces in place on offense to make this thing improve and get better. But if you gambled on certain players and they can't perform to the level you need them to perform at, um, you're going to look at and say, what the heck did we do? Uh, but I will say the moves that they made, they speak volumes to what they believe they have at tackle. Yeah. They, if they were panicked about Andrew Thomas at left tackle and the fact that maybe Matt Pert can't do it, they would have been the, the days leading up to the cutoff and the cutdown, and then on the waiver wire, searching, trading for tackles. And they didn't do that. They actually went the opposite. They went for the interior offensive line. So it makes you think what we saw on Sunday night maybe isn't what they're seeing behind the scenes. Now, maybe they're wrong and we're right, but they, they identified the offensive line from the interior out and said, we need to get better. We need more options. They didn't start traveling in tackle after tackle to, to look and try out guys. Even when you look at the guys they haven't signed, the people they brought in for tryouts were guards and centers. They were not tackles. So it leads me to believe that they're not overreacting just yet to Andrew Thomas and Matt Parrott, maybe the way the outside of the building is and, that could be a problem. It could be a misstep on their part, a miscalculation. But as of now, I think that's kind of where they're going. Let me add, well, and, go ahead, Paul, finish here's, up. And here's the beauty of it is that, you know, everyone who had an outcry this year, why didn't they draft offensive linemen, right? How could they not draft an offensive lineman? They drafted three of them last year, three of them, and all three of them played, okay? So that, I think, is the beauty. It's, it's, this, it, this is simplicity here, okay? They drafted three offensive linemen last year. They all got on the field in one way or another, right? Two of them ended up starting, and then, you know, Pert was in the rotation. They assessed it in the offseason and said, we like all three. We think all three of these guys we drafted can start. And that's the way it went through the whole summer. Beautiful, right? So now it is on them. You know, we can all say whatever we want as far as we don't like it. We don't think this guy's good. We sh they should have, you know, brought in a veteran. They said, no, this was Joe Judge. This was Dave Gellum. And this was the whole crew. We drafted him last year. We played him last year. We're going to start him this year and we're banking on it. So uh, it's not arbitrary right now. You know, it, it's we, somebody's going to be right and somebody's going to be wrong. And I think that's that's a beautiful simplicity here because we're going to be able to see, can they block? Can they do what they need to do? If not, it's on them. You know, that, that, that's a good thing because it, it, it's right there in front of us. Yeah, Paul, that's exactly what I was going to say. You know, Art, while they didn't invest in the line in, in free agency, they didn't invest in the other way you get players, right? You They invested in draft picks. To, oh, to, absolutely. To, to try to, I, I meant the last couple that weeks. I, no, of I course. the last couple of weeks about changing. They, they certainly right. put assets into that offensive line. 100%. You know, over the last four years, they used a first-round pick, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a fifth-round pick, and went out there and went to the top of the tackle market one year and signed the player, right? If you do that, you should have a pretty good offensive line, right? If you hit on the player. So it just still comes down to the bottom line, the NFL, you have to draft. Well, if you want to put a good roster together, right? I mean, that, that's really, you know, it's simple, but that's really in the end, what it comes down to. Hey, very quick giant fans. Don't miss out on the return of New York giants football. The 2021 season is now underway, but there's still time to secure your season tickets and root on your giants right here at MetLife stadium. Speak with the giant ticket representative. Now and become a season ticket member by calling 888 NYG 1925. Guys, we've got about, boy, 20 minutes here. We haven't mentioned Daniel Jones. How about that? We talked about the guys that are going to protect him, the guys he's going to throw the ball to, but we haven't talked about the quarterback. Daniel Jones, any one of the three of you, go. Where are we? Daniel Jones has thrown, what, thousands, tens of thousands of passes since 
the last time you played in a meaningful game back in back in uh, the the end of the 2020 season. You know, everybody talks about how hard he works, how you know how how smart he is, how how athletic he is. What's the one pass everybody remembers? It's the interception against against New England on third and one when he tries to throw across his body. He, he's got to eliminate those mistakes. He's a he's a very good quarterback who makes very bad plays at very bad times. And if he can eliminate that, I think that that he'll he'll be a, he'll have a good season, and and the Giants will be uh, you know vindicated in in their choice of him as as the heir to their franchise quarterback mantle. If he can't, you know. I think I think it's fair. I think it's fair to start asking that question if he ever will after this season. Yeah, it's funny. I'm not whitewashing the play because it exists and it happened. But if you like went into an alternate universe, you just erased that play. And you just watched all his other throws. He had a heck of a preseason game. He's hitting guys opposite hash deep outs from 15 yards away. But you're right, Tom. That's kind of been the story, right? There's those one or two plays in a game. It's like you know, Mrs. Lincoln. Otherwise, how was the play? And that's kind of where. He, you'll wind up at the, at, at the end of too many of these games, not all of them, but too many of them. It, it's, um, you know, you say, you know, we went 20 minutes and we didn't talk about Daniel Jones. You know, Daniel Jones is a guy you don't talk about that much. You really don't because he doesn't say anything that makes you want to investigate it. You know, he's very flat. And, and I think we all hope that if he has more success, he will come out a little bit of his shell and, and show us a little bit of personality. I mean, the guy's done a lot of losing. You know, the guy's done a lot of losing with the Giants. Um, he didn't even do a lot of winning with Duke. So it, it, it's, um, you know, you wonder, um, you know, I, I have a lot of questions about Daniel. You know, I mean, I have more questions about him right now entering his third year than I did at the end of his rookie year. OK, and, and that's disturbing to me. I may be wrong, but that's disturbing to me because I saw a trajectory moving up after his rookie year, which I thought was pretty good. And and last year, um it was just kind of meandering. You know, he made some good plays. He made some bad plays. He's got to learn to stay healthy. I think this whole yin-yang with him running is, is you know, we all were on the, the um, practice fields watching him in Berea, Ohio, and in Foxborough. And, you know, the plays they're running where he kind of holds it. And, oh, man, in a game, he can get 20 yards on that run. You know, he's not doing that in practice. And and he can do that. But when he does that, he gets hurt often. Um so I, I think, um, you know, the offensive line, you know, Barkley and, and Galladay and Tony, these are all big issues, but really good quarterbacks make it happen with almost whoever is out there. Now, I'm not asking him to be Tom Brady and do it with, you know, just a bunch of guys out there. But, um, you know, it, it, we've all covered a lot of championships, Super Bowls. We've been to Super Bowls. We've seen good teams and we've seen te- at, at some point. The quarterback does it. He just does it. And and um, and we know who the quarterback is. And a lot of times we got to get our roster and say, who did he throw that to? Holy cow. You know, I didn't know who he threw it to, but we know who the quarterback is. So the, at some point that has to happen with the Giants for them to be a really good team. Whoever he throws it to is great, but it's got to be Daniel Jones making that big play. And, you know, I think the jury is very much still out on that. You know, I think right now, right, Art, isn't Daniel, and I think this is the case for most second or third year quarterbacks, by the way. I think Daniel, in a lot of ways, is a product of his surroundings, right? Whether it's the line in front of him, the wide receivers around him. To Tom's point, the, those decisions, and Daniel said this many times himself, he can't make those, those type of poor decisions and turn it over. But I think, Art, at least right now, and Paul is right, at some point, you don't want you want the quarterback to be the tractor and not the trailer, right? You want him pulling everybody along, not being pulled by everybody. But for right. most young quarterbacks, that's not the case. So do you think that's fair to say right now he's the product of his surroundings? And how close is he to being the one that molds his surroundings rather than the guy that's molded by them? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's definitely a good point uh, by both of you. And I like the the tractor trailer, uh, you know, reference. I mean, but the bottom line is I, here's what I think about this coaching staff and really this organization as a whole is that they made the statement in the offseason about getting him playmakers, and they went out and they got him playmakers. They got him guys in this offense. I wonder, you know, five, ten years down the line or even private moments, if you can get Joe Judge and Jason Garrett and, and Jerry Chaplinsky and get them off to the side and say, do you like Daniel Jones so much because you've seen firsthand how his teammates have let him down? You know, because I think you look back to last year, the game at Philly, right? Everything is all about his fall and he becomes a meme across the league. If Evan Ingram catches that pass, Daniel Jones is a hero. He wins in Philly for the first time since, what is it, 2013, I think, is when the Giants last won down in Philly. You know, 
So there were a lot of plays last year where Daniel Jones did the right thing and was let down by his teammates. Now that comes off as excuses because you're the quarterback. You're supposed to rise above that. You're supposed to make those plays. You're not supposed to make the boneheaded plays that you look at and you say, why did you throw that ball against Pittsburgh when you knew you were just lived to play another day? But I got to imagine to me, I wonder if, if, part of the confidence that they have in Daniel Jones is the fact that they can look at the game plan. They can look at the play, the schematic and say, you know what? Daniel Jones did the right thing on this play that we wanted him to do. And he was let down by his teammates, whether it was a receiver, whether it was a back that didn't pick up an oncoming rusher. Um, so I, I think and that's a dangerous part. He can and flame out and never be in that situation where you're looking at, well, Daniel Jones rose above it. But I do think that there are reasons as to why he hasn't succeeded. And if you're looking for a quarterback to rise above it, he might not be ready to do that. And I think that could cost him in the end uh, if he doesn't get the supporting cast to kind of lift him up a little bit this year. And when he makes that great play, like the bullet that he threw at the sticks on third and 13 against the Patriots, on Sunday night, and then his receiver drops the ball. So imagine if that catch is made and they go down and they punch it into the end zone. Now all of a sudden, what are we talking about Daniel Jones? So I know it's a lot of chicken and egg, but I do think that there are a lot of places where his teammates have let them down. Is it a talent issue? Is it a coaching issue? Is it just a performance issue? I'm not sure, but the fact that we're still ask, asking those questions – I think is definitely a little bit disconcerting. So before we move on from Daniel and Tom, we'll be back with us in a second. There he is. Um, let me ask you guys this question before we move on from Daniel. What are you watching for this year? Are, are we simply now down to production? Show me, show me the touchdowns, show me the fewer interceptions. Is that what we're down to here? Is it really that simple when you're trying to figure out, you know, whether he's the guy to invest in long-term or is there something deeper something more subtle that you guys are keeping an eye on with Jones as to whether or not, you know, they don't have to make the decision next off season, but you'd like to be able to, whether or not he's the guy, Tom, what do you we think? Have, or Paul, have, what do you think? Have, oh, oh, good. Good. Tom, good. You go first. No, I have a one word answer for wins. He's, he's got to win. He's got to find a way to find a way to stop getting in the way of them losing and let those playmakers win for him. Exactly right. Win. Um, look, Eli Manning, his second year was not a Pro Bowl quarterback, but he won. He made more winning plays than losing plays, and they won double digit games. Um, I don't think Daniel Jones is ever going to be a 35 touchdown, 10 interception guy, you know, top four or five rating. Probably not, you know, complete the, almost 70 percent of his passes win the game. You can you can throw an interception in the second quarter, you know as long as it's not a crusher, you know, you, you can, you can hand the ball off in the fourth quarter. You can have a dump off at the end of the game. We think the defense is pretty good, right? We haven't talked a lot about the defense. We think it's pretty good. So it's not like he's got to win games, um, you know, 37, 34 defense holds up. They have some kind of a running game. Offensive line is okay. Daniel Jones has got to find a way to navigate them to win, not make a bonehead play at the end. Um, get the, take the field goal. If you need the field goal, win the game. And then you're going to see if it's enough after that, if winning the game means nine wins or 10 wins and he's got a ceiling, you know, that's, you know, Eli Manning showed us, you know, nine, 10, that was kind of his ceiling. Ben bang, all of a sudden he wins the Super Bowl and everything changes. So um, win, just win, you know, th th this team is set up to win now. And I don't mean win 13 games, but win more than they lose and be a real legitimate team. Um, they haven't been a legitimate team for too long. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, you guys when? said it. I, I mean, you know, you don't want to put it on just one person. That whole QB wins stat. Uh, I mean, it's sometimes it's get it gets a little outrageous. But they need to feel like they're moving in the right direction as an organization. And the only way to do that this year is to win and con contend in the division and contend for a wild card. And if they're not doing that, well, then the they pivot and they look towards the draft. And if you pivot and look towards the draft, the number one spot you have to look to upgrade is quarterback. Uh, and it, so if you're not in contention, you know, there's the flip side to that. And we've seen it. 
you know, everyone wants to point to what happened with Sam Darnold and the Jets, and some of that is fair and some of that isn't. But the way the league is structured, when you get through three years of a rookie contract for a quarterback, you need to be, be right. Either he's your guy or he's not your guy. You're not forced to do it, but if you're going to have the kind of picks that the Giants will have next year, if they struggle, and I, I just think that what Daniel Jones needs to do is make sure that the Giants are not questioning it when their scouts are going out on bowl season to look at different players for the draft. Make sure they're not looking at the quarterbacks. Because if they're looking at the quarterbacks, that means that you did not do enough this year for them. Not for us. It's for them. And for what they might say publicly, I think pretty much every front office in the NFL knows when it's time. Uh, and I think these guys would know when it's time if Daniel can't, again, rise above and lift this team to wins and have them in contention. All right, final question. Final question on the offense, guys. I'm sorry, Tom. Go ahead. You got something else for me? No, I was just going to say, you know, at the end of the season, you're going to rank the quarterbacks one to one to 32 for, for each team. You know, Daniel Jones, he, he has, I think, as much chance of being in the top 10 as he does in the bottom 10. And, and that's – that that just goes to show how how little we know about what he what he's capable of. It'll be fun to watch. And the one part of the offense we haven't mentioned um, is the offensive coordinator Jason Garrett. And I'm sure you guys get all the same tweets I do. It's become a bit of an obsession with Giant fans. If I see one more tweet about fans talking about route combinations, like they're freaking Kevin Gilbride, I'm my head's gonna explode. But that that that's what we get. And every year that I've done this, you guys have done it longer than me. Some of you have, some of them shorter, but. Giant fans and football fans, I think in general for every team are, are never happy with the play caller. They all think they can just change play callers and the whole thing turns around and the whole thing's different. It's changing. What's your whole take on, on that narrative that, that that's kind of out there about Garrett for, for me last year, I think the way he called plays was kind of dictated by the talent that he had to call plays for. And I think now if the offensive line is better, the wide receivers are healthy, the weapons are better. Evan Ingram gets back at some point. I think this year will be a, a, a much better, better judge of where they are in terms of an offensive system and kind of how it fits what they're trying to do. You know, the funny thing about Jason Garrett to me is that when he was a young quarterbacks coach and became an offensive coordinator, he was viewed by some as the innovator. Yeah. He was the guy who used some pre-snap motion. And I know people are probably going to hear this and go, what are you talking about? You know, pre-snap motion, Garrett uses none of it, but Back then, when he was a young coordinator, he was. Right now, I think he's a stereotype. I mean, he became a caricature in Dallas. I think people see Jason Garrett and like to make fun of him. And it, he's a very easy target because the offense struggled last year. Uh, I do think there's more opportunity to be diverse offensively than there was last year. Uh, but I also think that, you know, look, Joe Judge made no bones. I mean, he... He has Freddie Kitchens looking at the entire offense. He brought in Russ Callaway, a guy who is viewed as one of the young offensive minds. Now, he may just be a, an offensive assistant, but you have guys in the building who are looking at this offense schematically and seeing what they're doing. Um, you know, they have to play to the personnel this year, and that is on Jason Garrett. If you cannot find ways to get this offense to click with the personnel you have, with the investment that they've made, then your time is done here. I mean, that, that's ultimately what's going to happen. Uh, but I think Jason Garrett is a lot smarter than people want to give him credit for. And like I said, I think some of that is the caricature that we've created in the NFL, the, the clapping on the sideline and, you know, the Jerry Jones stuff in Dallas. Uh, I, I think Jason Garrett is a lot smarter than what people give him credit for. Um, and I do think that given the opportunity this year, uh, he will take advantage of it uh, because if he doesn't, he's not going to be here very long. And I don't know if he's going to get another opportunity to be a head coach or an offensive coordinator anywhere else if they fail. First and 10 against the Broncos at the 25 yard line. Giants get the ball. First play, right? Daniel Jones comes to the line. I want three receivers. I want one of them to go this way. One of them to go this way. I want Saquon to be in the backfield, then line up in the slot, then line up wide. <laughs> 
I want I want Daniel Jones to line up behind the guard and then fade back and move behind the center. All pre-snap, okay? I want this guy here, this guy here. I want Andrew Thomas. I want them then to, to bring in a third tackle. I want him to come in, say, reporting is eligible. Then I want him to run out. I want them to do all that stuff, okay? I want the Broncos to fall down on defense and say, we give up. I mean, you know what? If they block, then it's on, you know, he, he will, he will, I don't think the demise of the Giants is all on the, 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 the infertile mind of Jason Garrett. I really don't. I really don't. Now, yeah, he has to pick it up. Okay. But, you know, a lot of times when they say, why are they running, you know, six yard curls, six yards, you know, on, on, on third and seven. Look at the personnel out there, okay? And some of the personnel they had last year could barely run five yards, I think. So six was already an extension for them. So uh, if he can't figure out what to do with a healthy Galladay, a healthy Saquon, a healthy um, Kadarius Tony, uh, Shepard, uh, Ingram, Darius Slayton, if he can't figure out to do with those guys, then it's on him. By the way, Tom, uh, very, very quickly before you go, just a point. People put, I haven't had a chance to mention this on any of their podcasts, but you know, you guys saw that screenshot of the Patriot game that was going around where it was, this is the Paul, I think, play you were mentioning, right? It's third and five and they stopped the screen and everyone's at six yards. If you actually watch the coach's tape of the play, the receiver on the bottom is running a slant and go, but he gets held up by the cornerback. So it looks like he's stopping, but he just got held up by the cornerback and the running backs running a shallow cross. So they get, these things get put around and they end up not even really being accurate as to what happened which is kind of part of the thing that, that, that drives me nuts a little bit. Anyway, that was my little rant, Tom, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> well, listen, those, those guys said it, it's, it's about players, not plays. You know, I think you look at, you look at who they had last year, they had bland players and it was a bland offense this year. You have dynamic players and it has the potential to be a dynamic offense. Uh, you know, Sterling Shepard, I think being back in his natural position in the slot is really going to change his production. Uh, you know, I think, I think if you have the offense has to be an orchestra and, and these guys, if these guys can play off of each other and, and Galladay opens up things that for Engram underneath and, and Tony opens up things in the backfield that Saquon can do and, and it, it, they all play off of each other and they, and they all, they all do better than, then it's going to be, it's going to be a symphony. If it's not, it's going to, it's going to be a cacophony of, of uh, you know, awful football. Cacophony. That, that's a second scrabble point for Tom today. I like it. All right, here we go. On September 26th, watch the Giants retire Eli Manning's jersey in style. We're offering an exclusive suite package, which includes Eli Manning bobbleheads, jerseys, t-shirts, and more. Speak with the Giants suite rep right now by calling 888-NYG-1925, select option four. Guys, we haven't talked about the Giants defense yet, so why don't we go there? Let's start up front. I was maybe taken aback as a little bit strong, but the gushing that Patrick Graham was doing about Lorenzo Carter. Do you think the Giants might have found the edge rusher that they've been looking for since the Jason Pierre Paul trade? Or do you think that's just coaches being very excited for a guy making quick progress off of a very serious injury? What do you think? How do you think that's going to look like up front trying to find that pass rush? And can Carter be the guy in his fourth year? Uh, that, 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 I, think, I think that's the latter. That's a coach gushing. Uh, we've seen Lorenzo Carter for two years when he was healthy and he's, he's a good player. Um, you know, if he, if he erupts with a 10, 12 sack year, I'll be stunned. Um, but I'm, I also think he's an NFL player and, and he could be a starting player, you know, I mean, um, uh, coming off a rough injury. And, and I, I, I would say for myself, that's one of the more under reported stories is that Lorenzo Carter coming off a major Achilles injury. Um, I didn't write about him much, which means he was not, Oh, Lorenzo Carter was in the group on the side. Lorenzo Carter is out. You know, Lorenzo Carter kind of endured through a summer uh, very impressively, you know, uh, gradually and then building up. And he is certainly reaching a nice peak here starting the season. But, um, you know, I think it's a real leap of faith to say Lorenzo Carter is our next great, you know, JPP edge rusher. But, um, you know, I've been wrong before. He has talent. I think he's more of a strong side linebacker than he is a great pass rusher at this point. Kind of like Carl Banks, right? I'm not saying he's Carl Banks, but that style of player rather than long the LT arms. Style, right? You know, he's gotten bigger. He's filled out long arms. He can he can set the edge. You know, he can stop the run and he can get to, to the passer. But I just don't know if he's going to have you know so many pass rush 
snaps at him every game. I, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe Patrick Graham is not just blowing smoke, but I think it's very natural. Patrick Graham loves the guy. He's we all like Lorenzo Carter. He's, oh, he's, yeah, he's the best. He's an interesting guy, you know, and, um, you know, and he sees how hard he works. So he's gushing about him. It will be more. It will be better for the Giants if after two or three games. They're gushing about. <laughs> I don't know which sack I like better from Lorenzo, Lorenzo Carter. There were there were so many of them to choose from. Tom Art, where's the pass rush coming from? Lorenzo Carter. <laughs> I, I think uh, one thing that struck me as Paul was saying it, we, and the three of us were standing there in Berea talking to Leonard Williams as a fight was going on at around the fifty yard line. But that's another story. Um, and Leonard Williams brought up Lorenzo Carter and said the games that we're allowed to play now, we, we know how to play off one another. And I thought that was very interesting. So that brings me to the pass rush. And I think what Patrick Graham wants to do is find the kind of players that can play off one another up front and create disruption that way. And that includes bringing the safeties up, whether it's blitz packages from the corner or the slot. I think the confidence in the secondary and their ability to cover will allow them to, I don't want to say manufacture pass rush, but manufacture pass rush. And I think they do have certain players. You know, Shane Zimenez is not going to be a star in this league. I'm pretty confident in saying that. But that doesn't mean that he can't be a valuable piece to this defense. He's shown up well this summer, especially the last two and a half weeks or so. So I, I do think that the pass rush will be created because of the success that they have on the back end of basically limiting opponents and neutralizing them because of their coverage ability. And I think that is where this defense will start to click even more. So the disguising on the back end to the flat out covering on the outside and plastering and not allowing guys to run free. I think that's an important element to the pass rush overall. I really want to see what Aziz Ojolari brings to this team. You know, I mean, he was a, he was a guy that they thought was a first round talent that they got, that they got in the second round. Um, you know, he, he's had a, I think a pretty quiet summer, um, you know, a couple of, a couple of flash plays, you know, what, what's he going to do? Is he going to break that string of bad picks of, of guys that they think is going to be the next great pass rusher, you know, Oa Digizua and uh, uh, who was, who was the knucklehead from Texas A&M? Come on, Moore. There you Come go. On. The monster. The monster. <laughs> So, you know, is, is he the guy? Is he the guy? I mean, he's a young kid. He's, you know, what is he? He's 21 years old. He's the, I think he's the first player that they ever had who was born in the year 2000 or, or, or uh, later. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, is he, is he the guy? Is he the guy to take on the mantle of, of, of the greats, you know, OC and Tuck and JPP and Strahan and, and sort of, you know, fill in that, that missing link in that, in that chain that goes all the way back probably to LT and, and, and finally figure it out. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that he is. I don't know that he isn't. I I'm, I'm very curious to see how he functions in, in this defense. Uh, the one thing I do know is that if a defensive lineman leads this team in sacks again, like Leonard Williams did last year, I don't think that's a healthy situation for this defense. Well, Tom, that's great. I was going to do one quick rapid fire question before we go to the secondary. Who's going to lead this team in sacks? Anyone. <laughs> I know it's not easy. It's a tough question. You know, I, I, I'll, um, I don't think it's going to be, um, you know, it, you know what? I'm going to say Leonard Williams again. You know what I mean? I mean, he's the only proven, you know, he may have, he may have eight and lead the team in sacks and, and, and somebody else may have, you know, seven and a half and seven and six. I mean, look, I'm not a, you know, I'm, I'm not uh I'm not a betting man. I'll go with the chalk. Leonard Williams is the only proven pass rusher. He certainly looked good this summer. He doesn't no, he look did. like, you know, he doesn't look like uh, all that money is weighing him down. The leading sack guy on this team is going to have seven and a half, and it's going to be Jabril Peppers. Ooh, going a little Jamal Adams on me, huh? Because I think they're going to, we saw that a lot this summer. Peppers coming on the blitz. And every time Peppers lined up and blitzed, he got home. I mean, he obviously didn't deck the quarterback. But you know Jabril, when he gets home, he's flailing his arms. And you, you knew he was there. So I'll go with a little bit of a curveball. That they use Peppers more in the, like you said, the Jamal Adams at the line of scrimmage because of what they have in coverage. And uh, a bunch of guys in that. Six, seven, 
seven and a half range of sacks. So I'll, I'll go off the reservation a little bit and go peppers. And, and I, I just want to say real quickly, we will make a bet on that um, in, uh, off on the side art. Okay. And then I get to pick the toppings for the pizza that I will win. Um, well, let's see if it's me, you and Tom, let's say I will pick the toppings on the three pizzas that I will win for, for that bet. Okay. Is that a deal right now? That's fine. Hey, I figure I usually go chalk and I don't hit, so I might as well go a little might bit. Might as well go pizza. pizza. Yeah. Pizza. <laughs> How about you, Tom? I'm going to say that Patrick Graham is going to be sobbing all year long because Lorenzo Carter will lead this team in sack. I, I think it's going to be Carter, too, just because I think – I don't think he's ever leaving the field, to be honest with you. I think he's just going to get so many snaps at that outside linebacker spot. We've seen him line up in the middle of the defense, too, a little bit, right, as a kind of stand-up pass rusher, so – I'm with Tom. I, I think it'll be Carter just because of the snaps. All right, let's go to the secondary. Art, you kind of brought it up, so I'll let you start here. That's where I think this whole thing is designed, where it all starts there, right? And I think the fact that it worked last year as well as it did when you had a combination of Corey Ballantyne, Isaac Yottam, uh, geez, who else am I forgetting? I think Madre Harper had a start there, Julian Love. That was your combination of outside cornerbacks, and it still worked. I think this year you're going to see a lot more man-to-man in blitzing with a guy like Peppers, Tom, uh, Art, for an example, on, on third down. And I think that's kind of – they're almost counting on the secondary playing well enough to set the pass rush up, which is usually kind of the opposite of how it works. Yeah, I think it's obvious that's the way they've gone. Ryan Lewis is another one that, that – Oh, Ryan Lewis, thank you. Was also out there. Um, you know, look, I, I think the, the two biggest takeaways I took out of this summer for the secondary is – is number one. I mean, James Bradbury is just so consistent and good. <laughs> if you know, in big games, you just don't even think about him locking down that number one guy. I mean, he may lose some, but as he showed at Allen Robinson last year, that play he made for the interception. I mean, Bradbury is just so solid. But I do think that the most important position is the slot corner this year because of what they're going to want to do. They don't want to stick Logan Ryan in there. You do, you may want to play Xavier McKinney a little bit, but it comes down to Darnay Holmes and Julian Love to me with Aaron Robinson, as long as Aaron Robinson is on the pup list for the, at least the first six weeks. Um, if Darnay Holmes cannot solve his problems with defensive holding in that situation, I think they're going to rely on Julian Love in a lot of big scenarios where They'll have four safeties on the field at the same time with Love, Peppers, McKinney, and uh, Logan Ryan. So as good as I think they are on the outside, if Adore Jackson is healthy, um, which I do believe he will be, I, I just think it comes down to that slot spot. And I think Julian Love, duct tape, as we're told, is his nickname now from Joe Judge. You could infer anything with that. Um, I think he's the guy that they're going to rely on to really make a lot of this come together. Almost the glue of this defense uh, will be a guy like Julian Love. There's a reason why he's spoken up this summer. I think he knows that he's on the verge of having a big season or at least a big ask for having a big season. So that's how I see the secondary coming together a little bit. Tom? Uh, Art says that Dory Jackson will probably be healthy for the start of the season. I agree. I I have questions about whether he can maintain that. Uh, you know, That's he, fair. He, hasn't, That's he fair. hasn't really been able to do that. And they're as, as stacked as we think that secondary is in this first column on the depth chart. On the second column, Sam Beal, Darius Williams. I mean, that's – that's a lot of guys that you you kind of hold your breath on, and 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 uh, you know. You tell them. By the way, for that reason, I was surprised that we didn't see any out of all the claims the Giants made in additions post fifty three. I thought there'd be at least one defensive back in that group, but there wasn't. Yeah, yeah, uh, you know. I mean, I, listen. I think I think Radarius Williams can make plays. Uh, I think he can he can let up a lot of big plays. You know, it, it's 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 a tightrope with those guys, and and if you have to go to that second level of the of the secondary. It's a it's a dangerous game for these Giants. You know they they need those guys to stay healthy. They they need them to stay on the field. And as interchangeable as they are in 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 the secondary at, at safety, they really have some pretty defined roles. You know you have you have Logan back there. He's the air traffic control guy and 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 making those calls. And and McKinney, 
uh, who I think we're, we're, we're going to see it make the big jump this year in, in his second year. Uh, obviously, he was, he was injured a lot last year. You know, he's, he's sort of the ball hawk and, and the, the playmaker, the game changer. You got Jabril come, you know, playing in the box a little bit. You know, those, those guys are going to play off each other. But if, if one of them goes down, I, th I, th I think it's a house of cards and, and, and there's, there's not a lot of support behind them. You know, I, I look at the defense. I, obviously, it's built, um, you know, back to front. Um, you know, I think you can make a case that a Dory Jackson is the is the biggest yay or nay on this whole team. Because if he if, if after the season, if after 17 games, you bring the you know, four of us are together again and, and, and you ask us, what do you think of a Dory Jackson in his first year with the Giants? And if all we're all very positive about it, there's almost no way this defense is not very good. Um, it, it, you know, it, it just isn't. They have enough players there. I mean, you know, I know Art is saying, well, he's very concerned about the, the slot corner, which is, is agreed. But I think I, I will go even further up. I'm more concerned with that second corner. I'm always a little skeptical when you have when you we write about a guy and we say a former first round pick of so and so, so and so who's still young. OK, why is he a former first round pick who's not on that team? Injury production. I mean, there are reasons why guys, right? They were always told in the free agency there are reasons why everyone is available, right? There's a reason why Kenny Galladay was available. There's a reason why everyone is available. And some of it's just money, but a lot of it is, is production, health, just the vibe that they give off. So um, he's really fast. Um, I, I think he's been okay this summer, certainly. I'm better than okay. You know, the ankle, I don't think is a major issue, but I just wonder when you have a former first round pick. Is he a first round pick? Is he going to play like that? We, you know, if he and Bradbury are healthy and Adoree Jackson is playing like a really good player, the defense, you know, they have to deal with who's in the slot, but they'll figure that out. Okay. There's enough guys there. As long as on the outside, the quarterback gets the ball and says, eh, I don't want to go there. There's Bradbury. And then he looks there and says, boy, that guy's really fast. If I throw it to him, he may take it back at Dory Jackson. Now you got big problems. Okay. Now, Lorenzo Carter's and O'Shane Zimenez's are getting sacks because the guy's holding the ball for an extra second. So I'm still, I'm not putting a Dory Jackson in the, he's a really good player. They don't have to worry about him. I'm not putting him in that category just yet. All right. Let's have some fun here. Quick rapid fires before we say goodbye. We get a couple predictions. Um, we're on defense. Let's stick there. Who's your defensive MVP for the Giants this year? Tom, why don't we start with you? Xavier McKinney. Ooh, I like it. All right. Art. Well, if I'm picking him to lead the team in sacks, I'd have to go with Jabril Peppers. Contract year, you know, I wrote a column a couple couple months ago, the idea that Peppers has to force the Giants to find a way to keep him in this mix because he could easily be the odd man out with the commitment to Logan Ryan and Xavier McKinney uh, at safety. So I, I go Peppers. I think it's a big year for Jabril Peppers. There hasn't been much much consistency with him in terms of system. I think he thrives in Patrick Graham's system in year two. Paul? Well, I would say Peppers because he's going to win me pizza after the year. But, <laughs> I, I, but I'm, I'm not going to say that. That would be very, you know, very selfish of me. Um, it's James Bradbury. You know, he, he, he's, that's why cornerbacks make all the big money. Uh, we said how good a, a summer he has. He is just, you know, he's a little frustrating because he's not one of those cornerbacks who's going to give us great, you know, you know, I'm going to shut him down. I'm going to do this, you know, blah, 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 blah. He's very, you know, he's, he's that Joe judge kind of, uh, you know, and, and really a Tom Coughlin kind of cornerback, just go out and do it. I mean, he really goes out and does it at a very high level. So he's my MVP. Yeah, and Leonard Williams is a chalk pick, obviously. Sure. I don't think that would surprise any of us if that was the case. And, you know, none of us have mentioned Blake Martinez and, you know, you guys, Tom mentioned how can the secondary, one of these outside corners gets hurt, you know, then what? Blake Martinez, and look, this hasn't been an issue for him in his career, but if he has to miss a couple games, I could get dicey. <laughs> I could get dicey. Captain America. Joe, he, is, he is Captain, Captain America. America. He can't get hurt. Right? You know, he has that serum in him. He's got the Pokemon, you know, power. So he's he he, he can't get hurt. He, I he like it. Hurt. He can't get hurt. Yeah. All right. Offensive MVP. Art, why don't we start with you on this one? You know, I've been feeling it all summer. He's back in the number three. Uh, I think Sterling Shepard is is the guy that makes this offense go. Um, and you're going to look at me and go, what the, What are you talking about? But Shepard is the guy 
you mentioned it, Tom, I think Tom mentioned it earlier, moving back into the slot. He has been uncoverable this summer against what we've talked about have been good defensive guys that a, they've put against Shepard. Um, so I think when Daniel Jones needs a play this year, he's going to go to Sterling Shepard. Shepard looks healthy, and I understand his history uh, with injury. But I, I'm going with, with old Shep, the longest tenure giant, as the offensive MVP. Big year for Shepard this year, and I, I do believe that, that he is the guy that, that makes this offense go. Paul. Well, I'm going to win. We're going to have a side bet. I may win mozzarella sticks from, from Mr. Stapleton now with this. You know, I'm going to have a whole smorgasbord, Italian smorgasbord after this season's over. Um, you know what? The MVP has to be 26. It, you know, it needs to be Saquon Barkley, okay? It doesn't need to be Galladay. It doesn't need to be Shepard. It doesn't need to be any of the receivers because they, they can spread the wealth. The Giants can't spread the wealth at running back. You know, no, no uh, disrespect to, to, to Booker. Um, Saquon, he's got to he's got to be Saquon. He's got to be generational. He's got to be great. Maybe Do you not think he will. Um, no, I don't think he'll be great. <laughs> no, I, I don't. But I but I think he could be a darn good player. You know, I think he can be 95 percent of Saquon. So if that's great, then, you know, I, I, I'll take that no back. OK, um, right away. No, I don't think he can be great. And in week 10, 12, 14, 17. Um, yeah, I mean, he's he's. I think we forget, or maybe I forget, what kind of a superior athletic specimen he is and with a tough mind um, now that his body is back to being tough again. You know, it's got to be tenderized a little bit. It needs to be Saquon. You know, it needs to be Saquon. You know, he's their special guy. And um, I think if he's their MVP, they're in for a big, big season. Tom? I think you can make the case, just to piggyback on Paul a little bit, that Daniel Jones has never played a game with a fully functioning Saquon Barkley. You know, he, he hurt his ankle in Daniel Jones's uh, debut, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, you know, was never the same player again that year, last year for a game and a half. He, you know, he was, he was, a it, it was terrible. Right. So he's never had a chance to play with him, but neither have a lot of these other guys. So my MVP is going to be a guy who's going to, not probably be on the field early on, but when he gets back, is going to be really dominant because of all the other pieces that have come around. And that's Evan Ingram. I think he he looked really sharp throughout the entire training camp, right until he got he hurt his calf. And for him to, uh, you know, I, I think I think if he can if he can break out and and eliminate the the drops, and, and we talk about it all the time. You know, this is a this is a team that needs to stop losing so that it can win, right? So he's got, to, he's got to eliminate those mistakes. Daniel Jones has to eliminate those mistakes. Everybody's got to eliminate those, those mistakes. Evan Ingram, if he can eliminate those mistakes, is going to have a really great year. And, and you know what? We've just taken it up such a notch. Now there's chicken parm on the plate now. There's penne a la vodka. There is one hell of an antipasto salad. I mean, I am going to eat so well with my with my colleagues here after the season, after we line up all these bets, okay? Uh, I mean, I'm I, this is on record, right? You, John, you hit the record button, right? Oh, I hit the record button, yeah. Don't worry I want to say this, though. Paul, You the, the picture you framed for Saquon Barkley was the idea that he was going to be this. You just wanted picks for offensive MVP, right? No. I mean, so mm -hmm. if the Giants aren't what we think they are offensively or what they think they are, you could see a guy like Sterling Shepard or Evan Ingram be their offensive MVP because the other guys didn't do what we expected them to do. So I think I, that's a I, I've already I'm already ordering online, okay, for, <laughs> for, for the meals. I'm already ordering, okay, so that's – you have to discuss it with Grubhub from now on. Well, you could take a look at this guy in your other screen – and if you're ordering food, you better be careful if you lose the bet. Because hey. I didn't get to look this pretty by ordering <laughs> off of the appetizers. Okay? Hey, you know what? You know what? That's fine. That's fine. You know what? We'll have a good meal, the three of us. And it's just a matter of who's paying for it. That's all. John, if you want to come, since you're the host, you can you can come. You know, you can come. But just, all, you know, you can get a slice and some water and you'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to get some tiramisu too, Paul, because I think the Giants would love it to be Daniel Jones, right? I mean, think about it. All the really good teams in the league, the teams that have a chance to win a Super Bowl, who's their MVP? It's Tom Brady. It's Patrick Mahomes. It's Lamar Jackson. It's Josh Allen. It's usually the quarterback, right? 
So I think you would like all of these weapons and players you guys mentioned to be so good that it allows your quarterback to put together an offensive MVP. I'm not saying NFL MVP, but offensive MVP level of season. So I think that's what the preference would be. We'll see if he can pull it off. All right. You know, really you know che- Italian yeah. cheesecake is lighter, oh, you know, actually, than the other cheesecake. So I think ricotta just, cheesecake is awesome. I love that ricotta so, cheesecake. So I think you just gave us a che- gave me a chance now to get some. I may have to take a little less pasta to, to, to the cheesecake that you've just given us is great. Thank you. No problem. Taking all the action in New York Giants football from your very own private suite. Giant suites are a great way to entertain your family and friends. While rooting on your Giants here at MetLife Stadium, speak with the Giants suite rep now by calling 888-NYG-1925. All right, guys, if you want to put a number on it, you can feel free. If you want to save that for your columns next week, totally understand. How is this NFC East going to play out this year? And we're sitting here, gosh, what is it now with the 17 weeks? Well, we're sitting here on January 10th after the Giants play the Washington football team to close out the year. What are we going to be looking at in the NFC East down the line? Tom, why don't you lead us off on this one? Well, you know, I go back to last year and you say the Giants were a six-win team that were eliminated on the last quarter <laughs> of the season, uh, the last quarter of, of, of the last game of the, la- of the season. I think they're going to be a better team this year. I don't, I don't think they're going to be a six-win team. Uh, you know, I think, th- I think they got, you know, eight, maybe nine wins in them but I think I think the division is going to be better I think they'll have less of a chance of winning the division but be a better team so that that that's my pick how many wins will it take to win the division Tom 17 games I think I think the 12 and 5 you know 12 and 5 is going to win Ooh, I think it's going to be much better think, division than nice I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be last year was a historically bad division I think I think it'll be better this year you think Dallas is is the biggest threat or Washington I think Dallas and Washington are both uh, both big threats to, to them. I, you know, I don't think much of Philly. I don't think anybody does. But yeah, I think I think uh, you know Dallas and Washington. It's going to come down to whoever whoever can stay healthy is going to is going to do that. And obviously, Dallas has the offense and Washington has the defense. So you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Chef Boyardee Schwartz, your thoughts? Um, you know, I think um, Dak Prescott and, and Saquon Barkley can very much be in the running for comeback player of the year. Right. Mm. You know, they like him at the guys coming off injuries. Um, you know, I, I, I think maybe who wins that could tell us a lot about who, who wins the division. Right. Um, um, I like Dallas. I mean, every every year I like Dallas. First of all, Washington has the kiss of death because teams do not repeat in this division. <laughs> You know, they, they just don't. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I mean, at some point somebody will, I don't 2003. I is that the last time, right? The Eagles or the Andy Reid and Donovan, it was 2004, Art. 2003, 2004. Wow. So basically there hasn't been a repeat champ in this division since Eli Manning and Tom Coughlin joined the division. Wow. Yeah. A, a lot of our listeners weren't alive when that last happened. So there, there you go. Um, I don't think 12, I don't think you'll need 12 as Tom says, I think 11 is probably, you know, where I would go with there. The problem, here's the problem with the giants is that, we all think the Eagles are going to be a bad team, right? If they're a bad team, you need to sweep them. All of us have scars from sitting in that press box at Lincoln Financial Field with those fans right here turning around and banging on the glass, right? So until the Giants can go to Lincoln Financial Field and win a game, I don't think they can do that. And so that, that's, that's, you know, you need to beat a bad team, but can they do that? Um, I think I, I would say right now it's, it's Cowboys, Giants, Washington Eagles. Okay. So um, can the giants do enough to get a wild card with like nine wins? Probably not, but going from six to nine is a pretty good jump. And it's also how the nine and eight comes to be. Is it a good nine? Is it a good nine and eight with a couple of tough losses? And that is a tough team or is it eh, nine and eight? They won a couple of games at the end. They really weren't contenders. I mean, th- that's the difference. Art. You know, when you want to talk quarterbacks, I think it's Dak Prescott coming back from the injury. There are questions about Daniel Jones, obviously Jalen Hurts and Philly, Gardner Minshew maybe. But Washington, they're going for a repeat with Ryan Fitzpatrick as the quarterback. I mean, have we not seen enough of Ryan Fitzpatrick in this league to know what he is? You're going to have some games where everybody's talking about what he's wearing after the game and it's fun and it's Fitz magic and everything is out. Everything else is great. Fitzpatrick will lose them a game this year. That is going to cost them a chance at winning the title in the division. And so that being said, 
Uh, I think it's Dallas, uh, like Paul said, Dallas, Giants, Washington. Probably I, I'm looking at maybe 10 wins for Dallas, nine and eight for the Giants and Washington, however you want to flip it. And I think the Eagles won't be as bad as people think. Um, but I think that's kind of where it's at. The Dallas defense has questions. And in this league, if you have a questionable offense, like the Giants have a lot of questions for their offense. If Dallas's defense is as bad as it was last year, I think they can play with them. I think that'll be a big difference. Uh, but in the end, I, I'll go with who I think is the best quarterback in the division, and that's Dak Prescott, even though they had a losing record when he got hurt last year. So it wasn't like Dallas was out of the gates 4-1 and one and all of a sudden Dak gets hurt. Um, so this division still has some questions. I think for the Giants to win, it comes back to all the questions that we had about the offense. And if they can come together sooner rather than later, I think they'll be there all the way. Uh, but I'll go Dallas to win the division. Yeah, I'll close with this. You guys can comment if you want. But how about just not starting 0-2? <laughs> I mean, I think that's really the start, right? Every year since 2013, except for one, the one year they made the playoffs in 2016, the Giants have started at least 0-2, sometimes worse than that. Washington and Denver are really good defenses, but you got to figure out a way to win at least one of those games. And to Paul's point, how you get to that 9-8 and record counts. And I think... None of us want to deal with the panic that's going to be in the streets if you're looking at like 0-2 to start the year. So I think that has to be avoided uh, at pretty much all costs. Gentlemen, a pleasure as always. I appreciate being very generous with your time on this Friday morning. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you back here in the building next week as we get ready for Giants and Broncos. Sounds good, John. Thanks, John. All right, we thank Tom Rockart, Stapleton, and Paul Schwartz for joining us on this roundtable. It's all part of the Giants Huddle podcast, which you can find on the Giants Podcast Network, which is at Giants.com slash podcast, the Giants app, and your favorite podcast platforms. For our panel, I am John Schmelk. We'll see you next time. Thanks for being with us.